0: Sandy. How are you this? Oh, it's September 11th. Wow. (laughs) This is one of those things where you look at the date late in the day and you're like, oh, that's a date that uh, is a date. That's a date.
1: Yeah. And actually, I was supposed to be flying out of New York City today, but the flights were too expensive. So
0: I, I flew out yesterday. That is a commemorative action if there ever was one.
1: Well, we found out that it's apparently a big tourism day in the States, which I guess makes a kind of sense. But I was there for the Labor Day parade, which was very interesting because it looked a lot like Toronto's Labor Day parade, where the Mm. unions all come into the streets and do a big, long parade. But it also looked very different. Do you know how militarized it was? No. What? Why would it be militarized? Well, I think it's because military culture seeps through everything. So it's like any serious union had a color guard. Mm -hmm. They had color guard. They had standard bearers. They had um, people that would call orders for people who were marching with color guard. A lot of them have uh, pipe and drum bands and bagpipes. It was really, really wild to see.
0: Wow. That's
1: really interesting one of the unions huh. even had like POW flags that they that they were flying um and i think that was the brotherhood of electrical workers so like IBEU, of course which has locals in canada and um and then it was also just incredible because like to even get into the parade this is a parade of 30,000 people but to even get into the parade i a cop fucking asked for like like a card or proof that i was in a union to allow me into the parade <laughs>
0: What? It was... Oh, my goodness. It was so
1: awesome. And I was there with someone else uh, from the Canadian Freelance Union. And, like, you know, thank God he was was wearing his new uniform bag that we got at the convention. Because he was like, oh, actually, uh, I'm wearing this bag. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, The American labor movement is alive and fighting. And it was very cool to see... Uh, and hear from folks who are organizing within Starbucks and within uh, this um, place that sounds like Mountain Equipment Co-op, REI, a, a sporting goods store. Mm-hmm. Um, w- young workers doing some pretty amazing stuff. I, it, it felt great. It was really great to, to hear that. I think, you know, there's some there's definitely some stuff happening. And as easy as it is to forget about that stuff that's happening, it's it, 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 a fait du bien to not forget that.
0: Good. Um, yeah, I love that. And I, I hope, I mean, I think there's signs that this period that we're in right now might be a period of, um, of more interest in the labor movement and more labor organization from the ground up. And that's a really good thing. So I'm glad you were able to experience that this weekend. Totally.
1: Uh, I will also just say, too, that it's very funny that they organize their Labor Day march off Labor Day so that people can actually take Labor Day off. <laughs>
0: mm, something to consider Canada. <laughs> yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. But, I mean, this has been a week full of big news. Big news.
0: Big news. Oh, my God. <laughs> no... <laughs> Kidding. I mean, um, should we thank some people first and then start to get into it? Some of the news that we probably really should be talking about and then other news that we shouldn't be talking about at all, probably. (laughs) Yes.
1: Well, um, this week we don't have some people to thank. We have one very special, specific person to thank. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for supporting Sandy Nora, and thanks to every one of you who shares the podcast, who comments on it, and also to the folks online who are who, who often tweet. Oh, I can't wait to hear what they're going to say because I don't know how to think about
0: this. Uh, that I love that. <laughs> thank you. I love that too. I love that too. This is really great. Okay, so Nora, um, I guess we're getting a new face on our money. Yeah, we get to call them Chuckies now. Why? Because we were
1: calling them Lizzie's? before? No, that's offensive because she's a woman. But (laughs) now it's King Charles. So I think we can get away from way with it.
0: Ew. Um, Yeah, apparently, the Queen died, which I mean, unless you like, actually, there's literally no way you could not have heard that. I I believe that every journalist (laughs) who is on this beat is like, Digging through holes, going through bomb shelters, attempting to reach every single person on the planet as often as possible to remind you that uh, the God-ordained queen um, uh, of uh, this great monarchy that we're somehow still a part of has perished. (laughs) Uh, Do you remember the, uh, the Jerry Springer show?
1: I do. Remember how Jerry had that bodyguard called Steve, and the audience would yell Steve if he had to get on stage and break up a fight. No, I never watched it. <laughs> okay, well, anyway, Steve now has a, a show very much like Jerry Springer, and
0: Sorry, I was what? watching
1: it. <laughs> yeah, he took
0: over because he's like a man. He's like a, t-
1: he, like a tough, caught talking guy. He's like, what, what the hell are you doing, this beautiful woman, and you're, and you're messing around? Anyway, he, uh, I was watching the show and i was like really getting into it like it was a really really sorted affair between these be, between these individuals and it gets fucking preempted for the queen's death and i was like wow okay yeah preempted news this is like breaking news this is this is catastrophically important i mean the united states what the fuck oh interesting they call her a pop a pop culture icon <laughs> the united states the united states yeah oh,
0: yeah she was the
1: queen to some but really, she was a pop culture icon. So I thought that was a very interesting thing. And I, and I, and I want to I start there with this idea that this is a, a symbol, symbolic grandmother who everybody loves and was, uh, you know, dazzled with her hats and her suits and her corgis and her hunting foxes and whatever the fuck else she had. Just a symbol of pop culture. Uh, and it's very sad that she's dead.
0: Yeah that's um that's a remarkable turn to try to to put it <laughs> in in that sort of sentiment that she's just simply Um, a figure that is uh, representative of popular culture of the times. I mean, especially from the United States where it's like, uh, I think there was like a literal revolution over here. Not sure. Could be wrong. (laughs) Think that there was. Uh, But, you know, I mean, we'll get to uh, Pierre Polly but like he fucking in his uh, speech, uh, that he made this weekend when he was announced the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada he was like the queen so beloved on all continents which is just i mean maybe he said that on purpose cuz he wanted people to debate shit the bullshit that he says but it's just like how how could anyone truly believe that. I don't, I don't think anyone does. And how could you just call her a figure of pop culture where she actually is uh, the figurehead representing a very large institution that is responsible for so much death, destruction, uh, degradation, uh, inhumanity through, throughout the world throughout the world, on every single continent. (laughs) And, um, you know, it is, I am quite heartened by, you know, my people uh, of the Caribbean and the uh, wave of uh, remaining Commonwealth countries that are like, eh, we're actually over this, fuck this, goodbye, Um, looking to become republics. And I don't know why any country wouldn't be moving towards, towards that. What Mm -hmm. the fuck is the monarchy for? Come on, guys.
1: Yeah, like there was obviously there's the global way to look at at this. Um, And then there's, of course, the very direct... Local way to look at the role of the queen and colonization in this country, and ask ourselves why the fuck we're still spending money on this, why this fucking woman's head is still on our money, uh, why Charles is going to be on our money, why we're going to have to hear "God Save the King," which very much does feel like a 1930s thing to say, <laughs> and all of all of this uh, this uh, hoopla and and pomp and circumstance in Canada related to changing of the monarchy i mean like gag me it is so fucking boring and it obviously obscures from very uh very important issues that flow directly from the questions of the crown i mean fuck in this past week the the you know as as folks will remember we were recording last Sunday night the 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 murders that happened at James Smith Cree Nation I mean there's a direct connection between that and the Queen there's a de- de- direct connection between those murders and the role of the Crown in Canada and the way that the Crown continues to colonize and to destroy people's lives and it's like you know, when you have someone like Polly ever—I mean, I don't expect anything else from him, obviously, and I don't expect anything else from any fucking buddy in power. But when these people go on and on and on about how great the queen was and she's great and we have to respect her and she was amazing and she worked so hard and all this kind of bullshit, it's like she does not matter. She's She does not matter. Her office is what matters. And uh, and it doesn't seem like any fucking adult conversation can be had within mainstream media. Now, I haven't been in the country for a couple of days, so maybe I missed something. But, like, has there been any mainstream criticism of the Queen in any newspaper? I don't
0: know about newspapers. There's definitely been some... There's definitely been some interviewing of uh, people, especially from um, immigrant communities, about um, you know, like getting like a different perspective of, on what this means, sort of thing. Um, but it certainly has not been uh, equal at all to the the sort of a love fest that has been going on for for the Queen and the monarchy altogether. I mean, uh, I tweeted. Um, uh, very briefly about this this news alert that came to my phone that I just thought was like so gross. It was like something about how King Charles was gonna be was actually gonna be a great king, which is like, what does that mean to anyone? <laughs> like, what, what what do those words mean that he's gonna be a great king? Like, what? I, I, like I saw some some articles that were like. Um, And it's, you know, it's weird. Like some of these articles are coming from like American sources uh, and like all over Canadian sources that are like, uh, you know, Charles is going to surprise us. He's probably going to be a better king than we think. What does that mean? Like, what do people think? Like, what is the standard for a good king? What's the standard for a bad king? I mean, to me, the standard (laughs) for a good king is one that doesn't exist. So... I, I like, is he gonna off himself soon? Like, I'm like, what's, what is the standard? Like, what are we even talking about? This isn't politics. This is a fucking weird form of like a archaic celebrity <laughs> that, um, that is actually the basis for how we talk about celebrity. And uh, so it it is an interesting, <laughs> right. it's like an interesting turn to call the queen a figurehead of pop culture because uh, pop culture in some ways is related to this celebritydom of the monarchy, blah, blah, blah. But it's all really gross. And I could probably talk for quite a long time about... Um, You know, how we understand celebrity and uh, how too much is understood as celebrities and blah, blah, blah. But I actually don't want to give any more voice to the monarchy than we already have. Um, Short live the king. (laughs)
1: Well, it sounds like you're pushing for a new version of ACAB. (laughs) cab.
0: All the Charleses, <laughs> man. All the Chucky's. <laughs> Except for the Chucky from the Rugrats. Well,
1: on Kings. All Kings are bastard. All Ch- Chucks. Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh
0: I like it. Chucky from the Rugrats was my favorite character.
1: <laughs> I like it. I think being finished with the, with the king and the queen uh, and all that is a good idea. Let's go to something that's um, o- uh, equally odious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, which one? Because,
0: okay, we discussed talking about two things today. <laughs> two other things today. One was uh, Pierre Polyev. The other is Trudeau declaring to his cabinet that he will lead the party in the next election, lead, lead the liberal party in the next election. Both are odious things. Which one do you want to talk about first? No, I think that one leads into the other. I guess let's talk other. about it all together. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about it all together. Yeah. Okay. What did you think? What did you think? What did you think?
1: Okay. Some some facts for folks that weren't paying attention. So Polly Ever, uh, one... By 68% on the first ballot. That is a pretty resounding victory. And um, his wife...
0: Both for him and for me, because (laughs) uh, a few months ago, uh, maybe it was like, uh, yeah, a while back, uh, we had some predictions on this show. Uh, Nora has now won defeat in terms of her prediction for who would be a conservative leader. And I, I I, won. I won the prediction race. So stick with me always. Continue, Nora. <laughs>
1: yeah, good work. Um, I do have to say that I, I don't remember the last time I thought that Polly ever would lose. So that was a very early time prediction um, because it has been pretty. It was
0: early. Yeah, yeah it has
1: been pretty obvious as it's been um, as it's been working its way through the process. He delivered a speech that, uh, of course, it's full of rhetoric, as many people remind us. But that really set the tone of how he's going to lead this party. And he started the speech with uh, his wife, actually started mm-hmm. the speech. He didn't he, – he asked his wife to introduce, her, uh, introduce him, which is not normal. And she gave quite a, a, a touching speech about being an immigrant and blah, blah, blah. And then Pierre jumps in there. There was a, a number of things that I thought were very interesting uh, in what he said – And I don't know if we're going to get right into the speech or talk more generally about what this all means. But I do think uh, two things that I'm paying really close attention to. One is his um, in English, his focus on the on the working class is very interesting. And number two, uh, the things that he said in French that he did not say in English specifically that, um, you know, he's his party is anti woke and they will fight against a woke government. Uh, In a speech where then he then right after talks about how he's so proud that his child's third language is going to be English. I mean, it was just like, wow, there's a lot of things going on here with this guy and he's trying to hit all of the notes. And I think that I think that people should be very nervous about Polly Ever. Because this guy has been auditioning for this since he was a fucking child.
0: Yeah, uh, he he really um, made very clear that he is going to try to appeal to literally as many people who feel dis- disaffected as possible. That's the goal. Um, and yes, that means that he is going to attempt to appeal to um, to the general conservative base, the ugliest, most white supremacist parts of the conservative base, but also people who are, uh, you know, old Canada kind of like, uh, monarchists. He talked about the queen and the king, uh, more than mm-hmm. we've heard in political speeches in a long time. He spoke, uh, about immigrant communities. He spoke in Spanish at one point.
1: Very well, barely, barely. Yes. <laughs> but,
0: but, and his, the wife's, the, the, his wife's speech was very much focused on um the like a working class element of uh immigrant uh communities that that work hard that are are proud of what they've done and are um you know if were to put that together with the rest of his speech uh like religious and, um, and feel a a way about working really, really hard to make ends meet. Like that's, that's something that he's appealing to as well, which is an appealing message to a lot of immigrant communities. And I mean, he, he also, uh, the thing that makes me quite nervous, not just the fact that he is going for this big tent thing, which people should be, uh, nervous about, but the other thing that made me nervous was, um, this, Part of the speech where he started talking about taxes, he said something about um, a single woman who earns a dollar a single uh, a single mother who earns a dollar will have twenty cents of it taken away from her by the government. she will only have eighty cents of it left, which is not how taxes work, okay, but he was trying to suggest that um, this is how taxes work in this country. Taxes are a little bit more complicated. They're like progressive in that if you make under a certain amount, like you're not going to be paying like just a, you know, a, a, a general tax and so on. But that's how he described it. And the thing that makes me nervous is that the day afterwards when reading um, the political discussions, like I don't see anything anywhere suggesting that Pierre lied in his speech to people that uh, Pierre talked in his speech and made very clear false statements. That's a problem. Politicians cannot be, uh, politicians, journalists, um, anyone who's commenting on this stuff cannot be afraid to call out when he tells a blatant lie, this is a man who has uh, been elected for some time. He knows how taxes work. We can't. You you don't need to err on the side. Oh, we can't say that he's lying because that's a that's a statement about um, his intention. No, yeah, it's a statement about his intention. He <laughs> intentionally said something um, that is a piece of propaganda that is based off of a lie, and you need to be able to mark that in in how you are describing who he is and what he does otherwise you make the giant mistake that a lot of journalists and uh, all over the world made when Trump was um doing very very similar things
1: yeah i mean the 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 messaging around Polyever was much more like can he unite the party can he shift to the center away from this uh, flirting with the far right a lot of a lot of people like suggesting that like he didn't even need to 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 court the far right why did he do this we're gonna see people working very hard within the commentariat and and within journalists themselves trying to make Polly ever look reasonable and and really obscure the fact that he's like actually like really fucking right wing like really fucking right wing like stephen harper was nothing compared to to poly ever, and the only thing that it, like buttresses us from him getting into power, which is not very strong, is that he comes across as an inauthentic kind of slimy guy. Uh, de- depending, I mean, his speech I don't think did that, but I think you know that's the poly ever that so many people have seen now for like two fucking decades, right? Like this guy has been around for a long time, mm-hmm. and I think that attacking him on that is is going to be very difficult because he really does have the rhetoric down. Like, I was listening to this, and I and I tweeted this. It was like 60% of his speech, maybe even 70% of his speech, could have been said by the NDP. hmm mm-hmm. I mean, the mm-hmm. difference, though, is that he was more direct, whereas the NDP is always fucking using the most bizarre fucking language to say stuff rather than just being direct. But he really was trying to appeal to people who... Uh, The NDP is trying to appeal to. And if he has the far right on lock uh, and if he has the kind of support that is 68 percent on the first ballot with four other candidates and one of the other candidates being Jean Jean Charest, like not a slouch at all, then my God, like he doesn't need to talk to the far right at all. He can ignore them and he can continue to use this this like working class rhetoric to try and 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 convince people that he is not who he who he says he is. And I think we're going to see the NDP and the liberals take the bait and just be like he's lying uh, to to people about who he is, which is different than saying he's lying about what he's saying. You know, like when the rhetoric is so close. I think that the NDP is going to have a hell of a time differentiating itself from what is what Paulie Ever is saying, because they're always going to have to go back to, except we mean it and he's a liar. And I don't think that they can communicate themselves out of that because average people, they're not going to receive that in the way that the NDP wants to like intends it to be heard. We're saying it for real. He's a liar. We're saying it for real. He's a liar. Because it's all about how authentic it looks like and how much access to power it looks like you have. And, and Paulie Everett, though I don't think he's authentic at all, um, he certainly has access to power and he certainly uh, is in a party that is more likely to become elected. And so that will always play in his favor when he's saying stuff that makes someone's head want to explode because it's so incorrect.
0: So and this is where it's going to become really important for, again, journalists to do the job of going back in time to take a look at Pierre's record, to take a look at the things that he has said before, because his being on lock with the far right isn't based off of the things that he said In the weekend that just passed, his being on lock with the far right has been because he's been in lockstep with them for some time. So when he tells you that he supports uh, immigrant communities coming here and that he supports uh, people who uh, are, um, you know, focused on religion and so on, we need to go, we need journalists to go back uh, and see uh, that he was, um, you know, someone who wanted to implement a niqab ban in this country. Like this is something that, uh, you know, we cannot pretend that history doesn't exist when discussing Pierre in this period where everything that he does going forward is going to be a part of a political campaign that is focused on winning the 2025 election.
1: Yeah, so I I guess like what people are going to want to hear is then how do we how do we fight back against this? And and one of the things that I'm very concerned about is like like the liberals are incapable of fighting back against this because the conservatives know the liberals super well and they know exactly how to set all the traps possible and the NDP has um, like literally signed their support to Justin Trudeau until the next election which is I mean something we've been very critical on the show it's like a betrayal of how like fucking parliamentary politics are supposed to work but anyway so here we've got this guy He's going to be fucking riding high for a long time. He's going to have a, a honeymoon period that will be at least probably six months, maybe more. He'll be gunning for an election. He'll be looking for the opportunities to do that. The liberals and the NEP will have their fucking uh, pact be as strong as possible. And I saw that, like, they're already declaring that the pact is is staying strong because... Trudeau is going to announce a youth dental care program, which we've already said most provinces already have. So it's like the bare fucking minimum and and arguably is actually not anything changed. But anyway, we'll see. And so when you've got these two um, political forces kind of like tied to one another and both of them are absolutely freaked out about Pierre Polyever and what the Conservative Party is going to look like. I mean, it just seems like the the that the the forces are going to be going to be building towards the inevitable moment where they win, and I think like the real kind of thing that's stopping a Polyever ever victory is literally just Doug Ford's presence in Ontario, and, and that's just speaking historically because you know Ontarians don't tend to vote the same way provincially as they do federally. But Doug Ford's tenure is not going to last forever either. Uh, And of course that, and and also like fucking all of this, like history can be thrown out. Like it's completely possible that history doesn't matter. And that, you know, you could see a Ford fucking Polly ever uh, situation, but it's so interesting because if you read like, you know, Althea Raj's column, like, first of all, the first fucking, I don't know, Four hundred words is like nothing. is is barely reporting. Just talking about how significant his victory was in the context of like former leadership races, and how some critics couldn't deliver their writings to Chare. And 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 what's what I guess what she's guessing is that you know this is a, this is a guy that is going to have to soften himself in the party to become mainstream to win over the support of critics. But it's like. At 68%, what fucking critics? Like, that's not what's going to happen. He doesn't need to do that. Anyone who's critical of him can fuck off. I'm 100% sure that that's how the party is operating because they're intelligent political strategists, right? If he had won with 50% plus one, there'd be a lot more horse trading and there'd be a lot more talk of internally of him having to soften his image or whatever. But he does not fucking need to do that we have a voting system that means he only needs 24% of voters to vote for him in Canada and but because of voter suppression and a lot of other forces i mean that number is always going down and like there's something happening in the conservative party if they if they're attracted to him if they're attracted to the way that he's doing politics and part of it i'm sure is his is his full grasp of naming what is bothering people right now which the NDP and the liberals are incapable of doing one because the liberals are the problem they are the party in charge and therefore they wear a lot of the problems mostly legitimately and sometimes illegitimately and the NDPs tied themselves to the fucking liberals they, they are fucking hamstringed they can't do shit I mean they can say that they're gonna do shit but even Jugmeet's message in response to Polly ever winning was so fucking basic and so fucking weak that is like whoa whoa whoa
0: whoa you folks aren't ready for this yeah, it's, I mean, and it's also interesting the way that um, uh, the Pierre Poliev is using rhetoric to speak to what, what people are frustrated about, but in ways that are, like, uh, so meaningless. Like, you know, th- it was interesting to hear, like, all of the raucous applause when he started talking about the Arrive Can app. Like the the Arrive Can app. It's just like so for those folks who aren't in the know, I'm sure you've heard about it, but it's just like this app that you need to like use if you're going to enter the country um, that was implemented at first during the pandemic in order to track Uh, you know, uh, how, who was coming in, who was going out. And it it was also used to, uh, at least now it is being used to designate um, who's being randomly tested coming into the country. Um, And it's like such a nothing problem, but it, like, it's such a nothing, it's not even a problem. Like, I can't even describe it as a problem. It's such a nothing thing, but it is like this symbol of I think how people felt the government uh, intruded into their lives during the pandemic. And again, we have spoken about this before that there was no critique of that uh, from the left and all of the critique came from the right. And so now this arrive can situation, I think has more become a symbol of uh, the way that the government will quote-unquote intrude on us and take liberties away from us. And uh, it's a symbol that is kind of meaningless, but it is a symbol that is effective in the way that it's being used rhetorically. Um, that sort of thing, uh, he is very good at, and he is going to be way better at than any of the people who weren't in the tiny Tories and haven't been practicing this since, uh, they were on an, you know, a university campus attempting to make everybody around them and their lives a living hell. And one other thing that I want to say is it's like, you know, like it, it is of such crucial importance that, um, that journalists do, like, I'm going to keep harping on this, the whole episode, but you cut through the rhetoric and give us like the history and what's important and analysis and don't just parrot out what he says. Because if you do that, which is what I think uh, a lot of journalism with respect to polit- uh, uh, politics in this country has become, just parroting out what politicians say rather than offering analysis of the news, which is like what is relevant for everybody to know, um, which is could include what they say, but will likely also include what is real about what they say and what it means um, that they've said what they've said. I mean, you know, one of the things that we should be really thinking about is the fact that Pierre Polyevre in this this election um, uh, deemed himself pro-choice, but his actions in the past uh, have made it very clear that he is anti-choice. He has said that he would support a free vote on the issue um, in parliament. And so if, you know, that being the case needs to be stated every single time leading up to the 2025 election, that this man tries to portray himself as someone who supports reproductive choice. Uh, It cannot just be reprinted like, this is what this guy says that he supports. It has to come in the context of what else he has done his entire political career. Well, and you you said something uh, there that I think is
1: is really the crux of the issue. So, you know, we can look at this at, as the way journalism has to respond to PolyEver. We can look at this in the way that like the liberals, the NDP will be or will be incapable of responding to PolyEver. But I think what is most important is that we have been handcuffed from having critical discussions of the pandemic and critical discussions of pandemic management in this country. You, you just are not allowed to criticize how Trudeau managed the pandemic from the left. Like I wrote a whole fucking book doing that and, and no one in mainstream media wanted to talk about it. Almost no one. So it's like, if we refuse as citizens to, allow for discussions of criticisms of how the pandemic is being managed at the federal level. I think that people have really focused on the provincial levels because, you know, obviously provincial health issues get touched very directly and you've got people like Jason Kenney and John Horgan and Scott Moe and fucking, I mean, all of them, and Doug Ford. They're all like, they're all highly criticizable and people, liberals especially, tend to focus so much on them. But to criticize Justin Trudeau, like that doesn't happen that's not allowed and so you either are for him or you're against him and there is no left wing coherent response to the way the pandemic was managed and partly you've got the NDP that is just so implicated in it the NDP didn't fight against any of the measures that they should have fought against they they voted for the emergencies act you know so it's just like this has to be extra parliamentary we cannot rely on any of the partisan pol- uh, any of the any of the political parties to actually do this work. And then this is where journalism is absolutely going to support and promote and and elevate Pierre Polyever because they will still continue to block those of us who have critiques from the left that can punch through what he's saying and say, no, actually, this is total bullshit. I mean, there will be people here and there, here and there, but by and large, the coverage will assume that what he's saying is fair and true. And if you disagree with it, it's probably because you have a difference of opinion and not because you have a difference of fact. So I think that this is what for me, the big question is then. So how do we fight this guy? Like, I have no faith in the in the in other partisan uh, formations, as is very fucking obvious. And so what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to actually build a confrontation to his politics. And that is going to have to include the other parties because. All of the things that that Polly ever is saying, from inflation to fucking uh, the affordability crisis to like whatever, they all have radical solutions. And every single time the radical solutions are rejected or ignored or fucking taken over and turned into something totally weird by the NDP or the liberals. And then people are left with, well, I mean, what's the difference between these two parties? They should just merge and then fight against the conservatives together because together they can pull their vote. Those are the those are the two directions in front of us. And uh, the pooling your vote liberal NDP merger will never happen for a whole bunch of different reasons. And it shouldn't happen. I mean, it's not going to be able to fight poly ever. Actually, it'll just turn us into what the fucking United States is going through right now. And so building that confrontation, that left wing flank, that has to be what we're focused on. And I am saying this, knowing full fucking well that I'm launching this into the void because it's not like there's an organization or something right there that I can say is ready to take this on.
0: Yeah, the other thing that I think um, might be for those of us who are more focused on um, electoral politics, you know, for those for those of you who are like, um, you know, that's that's where my politic lies and that's how I engage. Oh my god. Now is the time to really push for proportional representation. <laughs> i think if if you're oh. a liberal and you listen to us like i don't i mean cool hi um <laughs> but if you're a liberal, <laughs> like <laughs> I don't understand like you absolutely should be you know telling your party. That, uh, hey, remember that promise you made way back in, what was it, 2014 or whatever the fuck? That, can we bring that back immediately? (laughs) Like, that should be the thing um, that uh, I think uh, both the liberals and the NDP, if you want to, like, amend your promise to the liberals to be like, you know what, (laughs) something else that we really want uh, to continue to support you is proportional representation, I think that now would be a very, very good time to to implement that going into the next election. And I think, uh, gosh, you know, this this idea, this um announcement that Trudeau made that, you know, he said to the cabinet, it it, it will be me, it will not be she. Um Christian Freeland. He didn't say that part. I'm just adding the obvious uh, subtext. Um, It will be me (laughs) uh, (laughs) that is uh, leading us into the next election. Like, that is way too early for a guy who makes a mistake every single time he talks off the cuff and uh, will be facing off against uh, a person who is rhetorically gifted in a way that Justin Trudeau could only hope to be. (laughs) So I don't know um, (laughs) that Justin Trudeau is going to make it to to the next election, to be honest. Um, That would be my next political prediction. Um, Oh, I totally
1: agree with it, by the way, too.
0: Good, good. And because, and then if that's the case, then look, this is what's going to happen is that the liberals are going to be friggin' scrambling to have another leadership race slash to. Um, to to build support for a leader on something that is stronger than my dad was leader um, at in a time when uh, the the conservatives are going to be just racing to the finish line and the NDP, if uh, things stay the same, will just be floundering and the Green part, well, should we even mention <laughs> the Greens? What the fuck is going mm. on with the Greens? The Greens will be announcing Elizabeth May as their new and improved leader. Um, so, I mean... Fuck. If if it's the best that we could hope for, perhaps, um, you know, then at, at the very least, uh, what people should be uh, thinking about if they're uh, engaged in electoral politics is um, fucking proportional representation so that you're not giving away all of the power to what is bound to be um, uh, less than 50 percent of the vote when uh, when if. And when uh, Pierre Polyevre, um, you know, is, is running in the 2025 uh, election. Hmm.
1: OK, but let's be concrete about this, because, I mean, Trudeau could not run on another election promising proportional representation because he's already done that and he's already fucking broken that promise.
0: So- what do you mean? He's done that for Pharmacare? <laughs> Nora, I, I want you to remember that history doesn't exist in this country. <laughs> right, 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 right. No,
1: for sure. I mean, but he also like with the NDP and their governing pact, they actually could do this in this mandate. Like, yes, absolutely. He won a majority and has the power to do this. And I think like partly I disagree with you a little bit on the on the need to fight for electoral reform right now, because it just feels like such a black hole where you're like people who understand that we need to change the voting system, get so obsessed with that, that every single issue goes back to the voting system. And it's like, uh, okay. Like, you're right. Like, yes, it's a disaster. But I mean, uh, like, let's maybe just have a space where we can just talk about the issue without you having to talk about electoral reform. But having said that, I think that, you know, it is an interesting organizing opportunity right now, because if if every single person in this country who who believed in, ele- in electoral reform was like banging down the door of every single NDP and liberal fucking staffer, strategist, fucking hack, Member of provincial parliament, member of federal parliament and demanding this, they will like then you will start to see an impact in public opinion surveys and maybe there'll be more stuff written about it in newspapers and you'll actually start to build some sort of buzz around this that will give the liberals and the NDP and like the Greens, I guess. The um, confidence that it would be something that would be politically beneficial for them to impose because the liberals will never do it unless they literally have their fucking neck in a vice because it, it does not benefit them in the long run. If we're entering into a new kind of world of politics then now is the time to fucking finally ditch the archaic system that we had. And so that is an interesting organizing opportunity that people might want to consider with like thinking of trying to get it done before 2025. So riding by riding, fucking, I mean, good, like Fairboat Canada, you're great, but fuck, I mean, maybe like there needs to be something new, like a new, exciting grassroots group of people calling for this stuff and make a big deal about it. And it's like, you know, actually not that hard to do. You can talk to people on the street and create buzz. And actually, you do that, and you do that properly, the conservatives will actually hear the same kind of buzz too, right? Once there's obviously some sort of consensus forming, things become a little bit easier to change. However, having said all that, I think that people really need to think outside of partisan politics entirely. PolyEver is exploiting a lot of anxieties and sensitivities that people have in society— and not talking about his far-right fucking proto-fascist bullshit, but the working class kind of stuff that he's talking about. When Aaron O'Toole started talking about the working class and his connections to Oshawa, which is like, you know, a, a union city and all this shit, a lot of conservatives were saying that he was like doing a Hail Mary to try and remain relevant and, and, and keep control of the party. And there were people that criticized that. And I think that Polly Ever leaning really fucking far into that language right now, suggests like that is the popular language that is where people are at. And the fact that the left cannot own that language is like an abomination. And so it's like every single fucking left-wing organization from every single union in this country to every single fucking social movement thing, whatever, collective, mutual aid, whatever, 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 has to be looking at every single fucking community that it has access to and mapping out where it does not have access and coming up with a fucking plan to get access to the communities that they're not like currently organizing in. Religious organizations, fucking sports teams, everything, because that's the only way we'll actually stop. Polly ever there's nothing there are no shortcuts this is literally fascism coming like to Canada in a way that we have not seen in a long time and we have not the best fucking liberal leadership right now to be fighting fascism because they got a lot of fucking stake in fascism existing and so like we will only win this if we're fighting in the streets and every fucking second that is spent on trying to fight this through partisan channels is going to be a waste of time
0: I think that our potential disagreement that you've mentioned is not necessarily a disagreement. When I'm speaking to people um, uh, and talking about uh, proportional representation and advocating within your party, I'm talking to the portion of the folks who listen to us who are committed to organizing in, uh, in a partisan way. I understand that there is like a spectrum of people and some people are going to be organizing in one way, and some people are going to be organizing in another way. As we try to uh, you know, uh, support and convince people to organize outside of partisan politics, I also just want to speak to those of you who are still doing that, because there's something that you can do that would be helpful, and this is what it is, um, is, is, is why I'm appealing in that way. But that is not to say that that is the the thing um, that that should be happening. I suppose uh, my message in in that way is that we need to be fighting all fights on all fronts um, as much as we can, wherever we are, with whatever we have, with whatever resources we have, um, because that's kind of where we're at. And uh, you know, I, I I hope that that people can see that. I think that. You know, I did see some messaging online that uh, is attempting to to sort of be like, you know, relax, Uh, you know, uh, he's not that bad. He's a reasonable guy. And up against, uh, you know, Nora saying, you know, this guy is a fascist, like that might seem irreconcilable. Uh, You know, but people need to remember that that's the kind of rhetoric that we heard with Trump, with Harper, with so many people who proved, proved themselves when in power to be those fascists. And again, like history exists and that's something that we need to look at. And so it might seem like we're like pushing the alarm bells in a way that perhaps uh, doesn't seem real to some folks who are maybe reading the news and seeing an analysis that's like, oh, he's appealing to immigrants. What a nice guy. Uh, but it's like uh, we have to look at uh, what's what's really happening here and uh, where he, his political base comes from, how he got them to support him, and uh, who, who he's going to have to show up for in, in the years to come. Thank you.